0: we have been looking at the gospel, according to John, for a while. And to be honest, it can be difficult as a pastor to try and draw connections between what Jesus says and does 2,000 years ago and what we're experiencing today. This passage is not like that. It is very evident, the connection between what Jesus says, what He's talking about, and what's going on in our own lives. I think Jesus' speech here cuts directly at something that has gone horribly awry in each one of our hearts. Let's see if you can hear it. We're going to be in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens.' For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me as I pray for us. Oh God, we come before you this morning and we hear Jesus' words, and it's easy for us to receive them as helpful information or another piece of advice to follow. But I pray that you would send your Spirit to us this morning to convict our hearts to see the ways in which we are not listening to you the ways in which we are trying to find life through other manners. I pray that you would convict us and at the same time use Jesus' words to comfort us, to heal us, to renew us, help us to hear the voice of our Good Shepherd this morning. I pray that my words fall to the floor and only your words remain. And I pray this in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Isn't it amazing how embarrassing stories can stick with you for a long time? I thought of this one early on as I was writing this sermon. I was 10 or 11 years old, uh, getting ready for a shower one night, turn on the hot water and slide the shower curtain closed, and something struck me funny. I looked at it and thought, is that right? Should the shower curtain be inside the tub? Mind you, I was 10 or 11. This is not the first shower that I'd ever taken, But over the course of the next minute, I convinced myself that somehow, all these years of showering, I've been doing it incorrectly. And so, I moved the shower curtain to outside the tub. I was wrong, just so we're all on the same page, right? I talked myself into a completely illogical, ridiculous point of view. I'll never forget that. Who you listen to matters. This is the thread that runs through Jesus' speech here to the Jews listening. Listening to Jesus' voice versus listening to the voice of others. And all of it is couched in this analogy of sheeping. Jesus starts by talking about a sheepfold, which is basically a pen built onto the side of a house where a family or multiple families could keep their sheep safe but the people listening don't understand. So, Jesus moves on from the analogy of the pen itself to the people caring for sheep. Jesus contrasts the type of shepherds, calling himself the good shepherd. Again, using the holy words, I am. Throughout John, we've seen Jesus echo God's communication to Moses on Mount Sinai from the Old Testament using the phrase, I am, and he does again here. It's communication about relationship, using God's covenantal name, the special name that he gives to his people, or as Jesus calls us here, his sheep. Now, I'll be the first to admit, I don't know a whole lot about shepherding, uh, but what I've seen on TV and what I've read about as I was studying for this sermon ma- makes me think that good shepherding is different from bad shepherding in the way that the, the shepherd communicates with the sheep, the way he can or, or she can control them, how they behave around the sheep, their attitude towards them, their methodology, their awareness, their ability to be in tune with what's going on in the life of one sheep as well as the whole flock. But Jesus' words tell us it's far more simplistic than that. You can tell a good shepherd from a bad shepherd based on what they do. That's it, just what they do. A bad shepherd requires your life, while the good shepherd gives his life to give you abundant life. Three points for us this morning, starting with a bad shepherd requires your life. Now, it's important for us to realize that Jesus uses this analogy of sheeping very purposefully. The people of Israel have been herdsmen from the very, very beginning. Abraham was a shepherd. He had much livestock. That was passed on to his sons. When Joseph welcomes his brothers and all of their families into Egypt at the end of Genesis, he has them settle in the land of Goshen because there was enough fields for the livestock of the people of Israel to have their livestock fed. Centuries of shepherding. Jesus is speaking to them in a way that they should be able to understand. If he was speaking to us today, he'd use an analogy about, I don't know, technology or maybe reality TV or driving, a way that we could all understand. The people know a lot about shepherds. And the Old Testament is full of sheep and shepherd analogies, and many of them sound just like Jesus does in verse 8 when he says, "'All who came before me are thieves and robbers.'" There's many places we could go to to see this, but I picked Ezekiel 34, which you can find in the front of your bulletin. Uh, And this is a place where the prophet warns against the shepherds of Israel who have not listened to God's voice. They have scattered God's people. They've not led them into the field that God prepared for them. They've not led them following after God. And so, they've scarred and scared the sheep. They have sold them out to other nations. They have led them to other pastures to worship other gods. The people of Israel followed suit, and they have suffered for it. Ezekiel 34 warns the kings and the prophets and the priests. So when Jesus says, all of the the shepherds who came before me were bad, they were thieves and robbers, he's not saying anything new. But don't be fooled. He's not saying something old either. This isn't just for his time and his place. Our world is full of bad shepherds today whose voices are loud and they are hard for us to ignore. Your mind probably goes quickly to a person, one figure, maybe someone who preaches the prosperity gospel, who says, if you love God, follow God, and support my ministry, you'll be blessed with riches. Maybe you focused in on a cult leader, someone who proclaims themselves to be God, or maybe you settled in on that stereotypical tech company CEO who has set themselves up as the head of the family, whether father or mother, the leader, the master. you got to quote them. you got to live like them. you got to follow them and do what they say. Here's the tricky thing. A bad shepherd doesn't have to be a person. It can be a, an idea. It can be a movement. The key is that the voice of a bad shepherd has to be just sweet enough to bend your ear. Maybe it's not the CEO of the tech company, but maybe it's that company that tells you that your life just isn't complete without our next big thing. And even then, in 12 months from now, you'll need the next big thing, right? Or maybe you work for that company, which tells you that you're not a valuable asset to the company unless you're working like this. Your hours look like this. You work from home in this particular way or from the office in this particular way, right? It is a bad shepherd that tells you that you are only as valuable as your output. No output, no value. Work harder, Maybe the voice of a bad shepherd comes from a podcast or a blog that tells you, if you want to be happy, if you want to have a fulfilled life, you want to be ultimately healthy, here are the five things you have to do. If you could just get your family to live like this and look this way, your phone is full of apps that tell you your life would be so much better if you just did X, Y, and Z. Do you hear how each of these things each of these bad shepherds come with a contingency a requirement you want to you have to give something to get something who are you listening to and what is it costing you I have a sneaking suspicion that many of you are like me and that the voice that you hear most often most loudly is in fact your own voice For me, I realize that what I hear from the bad shepherd of my own sinful heart is that if you just get all of the pieces of your life together, if you can just control all of the aspects of your life, everything would be okay. You see, I've created this ideal system that I want to try and live. I've cherry-picked habits and patterns and things from other people, processes about health, how to have the best sleep, what it looks like to be a good parent, how to work more efficiently, how to be a better preacher. I mush them all together, and I think if I just work harder in each of these areas, the whole will be benefited. It will all be better because each of those things is better, a place for everything and everything in its place. And do you know what it costs me? Patience towards my family and toward myself. It costs me sympathy and grace towards others who are struggling. And when I fail, oh, you better believe there is no grace for me from me. Who are you listening to, and what does it cost you? Perhaps it's easier for us to think about the cost and work backwards. I think we would all agree that in our lives today, it's so easy to become polarized To think in terms of us versus them, whoever that is. Of me versus you. And this applies to almost every aspect of our lives. We are quick to vilify anybody who is different from us. Who is telling you there are different people out there? You can't trust them. Who is costing you your unity and your connectivity? Because the Good Shepherd says in verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will all listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Who are you listening to that tells you people who are different cannot be close? People who are different cannot be friends. People who vote differently, who react differently, who have different sins, who have different fears, make different amounts of money, work for different companies, have different career trajectories, whoever it is, who are you listening to that has taken your unity and your community away? Bad shepherds require your life, but the good shepherd gives his life. The good shepherd gives his life. Jesus states this very plainly. Do you know what sets me apart from all those other guys? those thieves and those robbers. Verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. It's not how he teaches. It's not the miracles that he performs. It's not any of that. It's simple. Sacrifice. The good shepherd sacrifices himself. And we can all agree, our world can agree, there's something powerful about a leader who sacrifices for the people that he or she is leading, whether it be their employees, their family, their friends, whomever. It makes me think of one of the opening scenes of the HBO series Band of Brothers, right? Before the war starts, before they go off into battle, the main character, Lieutenant Winters, is riding in a Jeep with a friend of his who also is a lieutenant. And they're talking about a game of cards that the other lieutenant was a part of. And he's saying, it was a bad hand, I didn't get enough, I didn't get good cards, I didn't win any money. And Lieutenant Winters says, but what if you'd won? He says, "Ah, it was only for a couple pennies, it wasn't a big deal. And he says, but what if you had won? And then there's this line that, that could be seen as just a throwaway line, but by the end of the miniseries, you recognize that this is who Lieutenant Winters was. It was a character trait that defined him, that changed the way that he led His men, He says, never put yourself in a position where you can take from these men. Good leaders, good shepherds don't take from their sheep. They give. And Jesus' earthly ministry is marked by giving and giving and giving and giving. In fact, the Apostle Paul articulates In Philippians chapter 2, that the mere fact that Jesus is a human is an act of giving. He says in Philippians 2, verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Simply put, Jesus gave up his celestial glory. He gave up his status and his honor to be incarnate. It all started with him giving, and it didn't stop there. Jesus predicts that he will continue to give in this passage from John. Verse 17, Jesus says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus says this is all going to end with me giving my life. I will take it back up again, but I'm going to have to give it. I will give my life. Jesus here is explaining what theologians have come to call the covenant of redemption. The covenant of redemption. It's an agreement that took place before creation between the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They agreed, when humanity sins, we must punish sin, but we're going to do whatever we have to do in order to save. We will do what has to be done in order to save. And the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, agreed to do the work necessary to rescue us. He submitted Himself to the role of incarnation, suffering, and death, which means that everything that happens in Jesus' life was on purpose. It was deliberate. It went exactly according to plan. His perfectly sinless life The trial where he was falsely convicted, his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection, that was the plan all along. Jesus says, I have authority to lay down my life, and I have authority to take it up again. This wasn't accidental. The giving of his life was not accidental. It was a deliberate gift. It's the most amazing thing that any of us have ever been given. All you have to do is receive it. Jesus gives his life, all you have to do is receive it. But what are you receiving? What do we receive? Jesus says, the good shepherd lays down his life to give you abundant life, to give you abundant life. Now, Jesus contrasts what the bad shepherds come to take. Verse 10, they come to take and kill, steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. It's easy for us to think that the life Jesus wants us to have, the abundant life, is like a beautiful countryside, especially when He's using this analogy about sheep. We think of a nice, bright blue sky, perfectly fluffy white clouds, lush green rolling hills dotted with our friends, the other sheep, like a picturesque, idyllic, eternal Windows XP background. You know the one I'm talking about. But it's not about a place. From the very first analogy Jesus uses, He makes it clear that abundant life is so much more than just a place. Verse 9, Jesus says, "'I am the door. If anyone enters by Me, he will be saved, and will go in and out and find pasture.'" Now, this phrase, go in and out, seems like just simple discussion of sheep practice to us, but in the context of Israel, going in and out is covenantal language. It's talking about the way that God has promised to interact with His people, the people that He is connected to. This is the language that would be used by a king of the people that He is protecting and providing for. I've got this all covered. You can go in and out. The same way that a father would think about his children. I'm watching the yard, the backyard, the house, whatever it is. You can come and go. You can go in and out. If you see the covenantal language, then what Jesus is saying here is, if you follow me, if you come through me to the Father, then you are given a life abundant and welcomed into a relationship. If you listen to my voice, you are brought into relationship with God, your Father and your King. Jesus develops this relationship further. In verse 14, He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Now, we've got a little bit of the transitive property here. If A knows B and B knows C then A knows C. Life abundant is having access to the fellowship of the Trinity. This is huge. This is amazing. The same kind of love and care and connection that the Father and Son and Holy Spirit have with each other and have had for all eternity are yours. You have access to that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, access through another. A couple of years ago, I was at a conference in Cincinnati. A bunch of us nerdy pastors got together. We're all at the airport flying home, and I saw my friend, Hansu Jin. He's a pastor in Baltimore. He said, Stephen, when's your flight leave? I was like, ah, a couple of hours. He's like, come with me. We're going to go to the lounge. And I was like, I don't have first class. I can't go into the lounge. He's like, don't worry about it. I get it free with my credit card. So he walks in, he has a little QR code on his phone, they scan it, and he goes, I have two friends with me. They let us into the lounge. Now, listen, in the course of that conversation, I learned that the credit card I have also gets me into the lounge, (laughs) but it's way more amazing when you get into the lounge via access of someone else. Free food, free drinks, comfy couches, Wi-Fi, that's super fast. Having access to an amazing place because of another person is awesome but it's not about getting another place from Jesus. It's not about the final destination. It's about now. Access to the Trinity now. It's not about the circumstances of your life. It's not about being safe or secure or comfort or wealthy or having peace. Those things may or may not come. To use Jesus' metaphor, this isn't about securing a great pasture for you. The pasture could be rocky It could be lush, it could be good, or it could be bad, but it is the perfect pasture for you because the Good Shepherd is there. You are safe, you are secure, your life will be abundant because the Good Shepherd is there. So, this means two things for us. The first is that you get to know the Good Shepherd by being part of His flock. Just as He said, one flock, one shepherd. Connecting to the Trinity comes through connecting to the flock. We learn more about the shepherd by connecting to the flock, worshiping together in community, fellowshipping together, walking through life together, reminding each other the sweetness of the voice of our shepherd. That means getting engaged with each other, welcoming people in to the community, drawing other sheep to hear the voice of the shepherd. Now, here's the second thing that it means. If you know the voice of the good shepherd, you can just disregard all the other noise. This one's a little bit more challenging, right? This one requires us to hear and know the voice of the good shepherd. It requires us to be able to compare the difference between all the other voices out there, the voices of those bad shepherds, To the voice of the Good Shepherd? Are we hearing echoes of the Good Shepherd? Are people pointing us to life in Jesus, or are they pointing us another direction? Out the back door of the sheepfold, into danger and into death. Now, the key here is that as I hear that, my inner bad shepherd says that means you gotta work a little bit harder at following Jesus. You gotta read more, you gotta pray more. You got to not do those bad things more. That's the only way you're going to know Jesus more, the only way you're going to feel secure and comfortable. It's just another bad voice. Two weeks ago, I was in Florida. Uh, I had the opportunity to do my grandmother's memorial service. And uh, it's kind of unique as a pastor to preside over a memorial service for a family member. Uh, It's even more interesting when none of your family members want to speak about her And so I was not only tasked to eulogize my grandmother but also to preach the gospel because many of the members of my extended family aren't believers. And as I was sitting there trying to think what are the events in her life that I could tell all of my family, this is how we know that we have hope, that she was secure in Jesus, this is how we know, I realized that my grandmother was not one of those people who bragged about how often she went to church, about how often she read the Bible. She didn't quote Scripture day in and day out. She knew simply that Jesus loved her, that He had died for her, and that He had rose again for her. It's simple. The voice of the Good Shepherd is sweet and it is simple, and it gives us hope and security and peace, and comfort, not because it's all these good things, but because He is with us, has given Himself for us, and because of that gives us abundant life. Pray with me. Oh God, we hear the words of Your Son. We hear the Spirit tell us in our hearts that they are true, and yet, Jesus, it's so easy for us to forget what you have done and said. Help us, I pray. I ask that you would ring in our ears your voice, as simple as it may be. Jesus loves us. This we know, for the Bible tells us so. It is simple, but it is true. It is your voice, and I pray that we would listen and we would follow. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Himself. Amen.